0: Yo Mike,
1: what it is, yo. I'm Kylie McDaniel like with fangrafts.com when and on the, the other line, secretly recording my every move to make sure I'm not also secretly recording his every move. It's Eric Longenhagen. Hello. Oh, uh, there we go. See, I feel like we've got the energy already. We gotta keep this momentum going. Okay, uh, Eric, you've been fall leaguing recently. I guess that's your that's your update on what you've been doing.
0: Yeah, I Instructs is wrapped up here in Arizona. Uh, and so now it's just double dipping, fall league games. Been on the Glendale Desert Dogs all week. Wow! Uh, what a dream. Come to come to the East Valley several times uh, this week, and so I've I've just following them for five straight days, and I will be done with that roster at the end of the week, and that'll feel good.
1: Uh, while Eric is doing the nitty-gritty work of uh, seeing prospects and, I guess, writing reports privately that will eventually come to you people and taking video, I'm in the middle of moving, so I'm sitting uh, live on the back porch of my house in Atlanta, which now everyone knows what it sounds like, which hopefully dogs don't start barking. I also went to the Diamond Club Showcase in Lakeland, Florida, where it's all of the best high school players, usually mission a few pitchers because a lot of them will sit out the fall. A handful of first-rounders, Matthew Lugo, Puerto Rican shortstop, Reese Hines, um, third baseman from ING Academy, and the sort of rising guy there that I think is worth mentioning is Tyler Callahan, who will be 19 on draft day, the left-handed hitting power guy, sort of a poor man's Nolan Gorman, doesn't quite have the history of hitting or track record, but has similar tools, you know, easy plus raw power from the left side, not positive you can stay at third. At this event, he had lost about 10 pounds, and he actually caught two innings and looked like it was worth looking into now I'm interested yeah yeah I've seen Callahan too. the arm now plays like the arm plays like 50 55 behind the plate and he gets real low in his crouch like it's it's definitely within spitting distances he basically just started and he's in better shape now uh, so now it's a power bat where he might be able to catch and like the only real ding is that he's 19 which I mean Anthony Siegler went I think he was 18 point nine and he went in the middle of the first round so it's not like you, they can't go up there so He's, uh, he's moving up on the internal board eventually when I think the fall ends. Right now Jupiter's going on, so some high school guys are playing. We'll here, get a couple more names from that, and then we'll probably do an update to the board, uh, and then that'll probably stand until the winter. So that's what we've been doing. If we want to jump into our first topic, we have our first guest in the history of the Untitled Hagen Project
2: podcast, and it is Jeff Passan of Yahoo.com. Jeff, how you doing? Is that going to continue to be the name of this podcast, or are, are you going to come up with the title?
1: Until you can top it, that's the name. When you, once you get it, you there, can there, name it.
2: <laughs> there's absolutely nothing that can top it. It's my, my favorite podcast name out there right now. I hope you guys have more going for you than your name. But, I don't think we uh, do, but I appreciate it. <laughs> that's quite all right. We're about to find out.
1: Okay, well, so we had said before we would have on guests when they are necessary to discuss the topic, and Eric and I were both interested in this Houston Astros alleged cheating as an entry into the topic of sort of big league advanced scouting and finding an edge and what's legal and not legal. So, Jeff, as our guest, why don't you do like sort of a quick download of what your article entailed, because I think we both have a bunch of thoughts about this.
2: This all started with a report out of uh, the Metro newspaper in Boston, which is like the free paper, I think, that you grab when you are going. Going on to the T. It essentially said that the Red Sox had caught somebody who was working for the Astros in the photo booth at Fenway Park pointing a camera into it, a cell phone. Uh, not sure if he was taking pictures, not sure if he was taking video, no idea what he was doing. It, it boggled the mind that the Astros would be so brazen as to put somebody in there to do their spying it got even more brazen and hubristic when i found out uh first through uh some sources in cleveland who told me that it had happened in the division series with the indians too and then when i saw the photo uh with the guy's name on it and figured out who he was exactly that this was not some kind of like ex spy services intelligence professional Uh, It was a guy who was a gopher for the Astros owner, Jim Crane. And uh, his name is Kyle McLaughlin, uh, not to be confused with Twin Peaks Kyle McLaughlin. (laughs) Very close to Eric's heart. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you what, I got more pictures of poor Kyle McLaughlin that night, added me on Twitter than I ever wanted to see. Uh, And and the more digging I did, uh, the more I found on Kyle McLaughlin, and it was... (laughs) Awfully interesting that the Astros, who are this organization that have a reputation throughout baseball uh, as being, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say as being cheaters, but uh, teams are exceedingly wary of them uh, stealing signs and using ways to deploy them onto the field and get pitches tipped that way, that the Astros would go about it in such a comical, ridiculous fashion that they would send a kid who's barely 21 years old uh, uh, into the photographer's box and and do it that way. Like, of all ways to do it, of all the ways to go and steal some signs, that's the best you can do, Houston Astros? That's the best you can do, Edgertronic camera fiends? Really? <laughs> really? Wait, is this a new segment, really,
1: with Jeff Hazen? <laughs> 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 so, Jeff, I I can't help but think uh, I know I tweeted about, it, but there was a, an athletic article about a week ago where Mike Clevenger and I believe some other anonymous Indians talked about how they didn't feel like they were as prepared as the Astros. Do you think this is some of what they were talking about? I think this is exactly what they were talking about. Because <laughs> from, this- from what little research I've done, this is definitely a every team does some level of this and nobody talks about it publicly. So it would make sense if this would be a, I just don't feel like we're prepared because they don't want to say exactly what they mean.
2: Yeah, the thing is former Astros will talk about it privately and say that the Astros are really good at it. And they they have thrown out allegations that I have not been comfortable printing uh, that if they were true, would, let's just say they would make this look like child's play.
1: Jeff, I think we're actually only applicable to sea law right now, so you can throw all that stuff out there if you want to. <laughs> uh, you know what? We're in international uh, podcast waters.
2: <laughs> that, that is a great point and uh unfortunately slander law is far worse in other countries than it is in uh in the united states and so if these were just to be accusations and allegations that were not true i probably would not have a job anymore and you guys probably wouldn't feel very good about yourselves
1: Wait, do you do you hold multiple jobs at this point, Jeff?
2: I I have a job with Yahoo Sports, and it's a great job, and I'm very excited awesome. to be covering the playoffs for Yahoo Sports.
1: That's that's very yeah, and on to Cincinnati, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Eric, I feel like I've been monopolizing Jeff. I know you have some thoughts on this. Uh, what are they?
0: Right. So the uh, the Metro dot us article that jeff cited written by someone named danny picard links to it just says in the article the man had a small camera and was texting frequently uh and in that sentence there's a link to uh like an article on the verge about a cell phone called the huawei uh mate 20 pro and so i started doing digging on what this cell phone can do and it's incredible. Like, I had no idea that something uh, that you could have in your pocket could do all this stuff.
2: I uh, know. So you can like look at the internet and send text messages. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I know. The technology it's, these days, man.
0: It's incredible. This thing has two neural processing units on board that can do real-time image recognition, image, uh, image recognition at like 30 frames per second. So if you train these neural processing units... Uh, to recognize subtlety. like it, it, the, the examples in the, the demos, because this, this phone hasn't technically come out yet. There are different uh, versions of this phone with uh, the same neural processing unit on it uh, called the Kirin 970. Uh, but basically, you can train these, these neural processing units to uh, identify all sorts of things, and the demos are like, uh, they'll change the fruit that the cell phone camera is seeing, and instantaneously the, the phone will tell you, oh, this is a banana. And then when you take that out and put something else in, uh, it'll say, you know, this is an apple or this is a peach. And it tells you, like, it can make inference uh, basically once it's been trained to do so. And but so. But
2: does it tell you how many calories are in each?
0: It does. It, I'm not shitting you, it absolutely does. <laughs>
1: Can it make toast? I want to buy one of these things.
0: That was part of the demo as well, as where it estimates the size and weight and the calorie count of the piece of fruit. There's a three-
2: I, I want to I work for the Houston Astros just so I can get my hands on the fruit, the, the fruit calorie phone. Like, well, that's what this needs to be called, right?
0: The fruit calorie phone. There you go. Well, the, the people at the Huawei company clearly have a marketing issue if we don't know that they have this $900 <laughs> cell phone that can do all this stuff. Uh, my
1: cell phone cost a thousand dollars i have the iphone x that I, f- I feel like i missed out that i can't steal signs using my phone
0: maybe i'm mispricing this thing i don't know if this has uh the like the dating apps that your phone does
1: oh see now now <laughs> now this makes sense this is now
2: a real sophie's <laughs> choice uh kylie you could know what kind of apple you have but you definitely <laughs> cannot get on tinder and swipe left so I, we, why would kylie? i <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. We've—I I don't know, I I Actually, think, hold, hold on a second. Is what's swiping left. I had a fifty percent chance there. Swipe left means ma- no. Swipe right. Means swipe yes. left means no. Ah, okay. See, I thought that swipe left me- meant yes. I—I've been married for like yeah, almost eleven years now. So I. So registered I registered legitimately- sex haver Jeff Passon checking
1: in. <laughs> Okay, Eric, tell us more about this amazing phone and what we can do with it.
0: Okay, sorry. So, um, all right, so
1: let me try to put a finer point on this. So what you're suggesting this phone can do, which is obviously not widely used in the United States, and obviously the Astros are on the bleeding edge of technology, so it would make sense that they would be aware of this, even if it's with this like you know guy that doesn't seem super impressive on the face. If you were to, say, tell it, point it at the pitcher, and when he jostles his glove such a way, and then say, this ended up being a cutter... Would it seem like this phone, you could stick shoot it at the pitcher, and it'll just tell you the pitch as he's messing around in his glove?
0: Right. Like, in theory, this is a question that we have to answer, right, is what sort of uh, instantaneous baseball application does a phone like this have? And these this is, like, the first sort of thing that I thought about. And, like, I feel like the three of us, just because we know the Astros are sort of at the forefront of everything, and not all of it is good – that we sort of poked around the situation before. Uh, and like Jeff, you wrote in your article about, uh, a system of claps being used to relay signals to hitters about what might be coming. Uh, I've had scouts from opposing teams. Tell me about a system of whistles, uh, but, but I've like, heard
1: about guys hitting trash cans with bats—a very distinctive sound that you could hear over the crowd. I was told one team had a guy in center field until a team from that home stadium confronted that guy and said he would turn him into MLB if he didn't start stop coming to games, which he then did. Like, there's a yep, lot of yep. ways to do this.
2: Yeah, uh, all but, all of which all of which I've heard, and all of which, frankly, I absolutely believe. Because here's the thing: these 30 teams aren't exactly like breaking new ground here. This is this is the same stuff that's been going. on. I was talking with someone a couple of days ago, who was saying that when he played high school baseball, uh, and they had a team signals, they you know when the guy was at the plate, they would say let's let's go Joe, and Joe would mean fastball, and if he's wearing thirteen, let's go one three, and thirteen would mean off speed. So if you said the guy's name, that would be a fastball. If you said the guy's number, that would be an off speed pitch. They they have been trying to do this in baseball forever. If a guy's on second base and he has signals, you know, if he touches his thigh with his right hand, that's fastball. Touches his thigh with his left hand, it's off speed. It's, it's why teams are so paranoid right now, because this has been going on forever, but there are so many better ways now, because of technology, to to, to alert hitters as to what's coming. And, and that's the... That's the Pandora's box that's been opened, and that's the one that Major League Baseball is going to have as difficult a time as it is already trying to close.
0: Do you think there's an arbitrary distaste for a certain type of cheating while other kinds are generally accepted to be going on?
2: 100%. I think if you cheat by actually picking out the signals with your eyes, then it's fair game. At least that's what people inside of the game believe. But if you use technology to aid in a bet, that's going too far.
0: Is there a way for baseball to govern inorganic means of sign stealing, or is this just sort of a thing like technology in general? I think is just progressing at a speed that is difficult to like legislate in any way. Like just in our lives, is is do you think baseball has a means of controlling this at all, or is this just sort of a thing where uh, behind closed doors teams are always going to be ahead of how they're being governed?
2: I think it's going to take severe penalties, and I think it's going to take somebody getting banned from the game or getting a, a two-year ban from the game or something along those lines to make teams realize how serious baseballs is being. Obviously, last year, the Red Sox got caught and admitted to using an Apple Watch to help relay signals. And what came of that? A fine. And, and skeptics around the game will say, yeah, it's the Red Sox. Of course, they're not going to come down hard on them. You know, it, it's almost—it's like the old Jerry Tarkanian joke. You know, Duke got caught, you know, paying players in Cleveland State, got banned for five years. It, it's its that same principle where they don't think that the big teams – whoa, was that a cricket? <laughs> I think it was a bird.
1: I haven't gotten all what the species ki- down here yet.
2: I was going to say, what kind of wildlife is going on in suburban Atlanta? Well, probably? right now, Scout
1: is digging all of the chipmunk holes as deep as she can, so there's probably going to be a chipmunk carcass showing up on the podcast pretty
2: soon. <laughs> It's too bad that we're doing this Skype call without video, because I really would love to see that.
0: I may it, be partially clothed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, boy.
1: Fa- McDongan hanging after dark.
2: <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I think there are, there is going to need to be somebody who wears it hard in public in order for the rest of the industry to believe that Major League Baseball is going to clamp down on this. It's almost going to be like what happened... To the Braves or, or to the Cardinals, where the penalties need to be severe enough. And I don't even know if those penalties were severe enough, despite people getting banned for life and uh, draft picks and a couple million dollars in the Cardinals case being taken away. That uh, they're, they're going to push as far as they possibly can until they realize that there's going to be penalties for having pushed that far. And you don't want to be the one who gets caught. But until anyone does, you're going to try it. Wait, what happened to the Braves? I don't know. Who are the Braves? <laughs> uh, okay, so if I were to... All
1: right, tell, tell me how much truth is in this point of view, this devil's advocate. Uh, MLB is run by a labor lawyer who can't figure out how to market Mike Trout. And he is trying, to, or his, his lieutenants, whoever, are trying to figure out how to stay ahead of teams, similar to how um, organizations are trying to stay ahead of, like, you know, cyclist doping and stuff like that. Like, how do you how does the test stay ahead of the... The people that are you know cheating or however you want to describe it do you think they are equipped or able to um in a fair way set ground rules make adjustments um punish teams to actually have this go the way it's supposed to go or is this just going to be like a comedy of errors and nobody ever quite gets it right
2: on one hand your point is very well taken they are run by a labor lawyer on the other uh, Major League Baseball helped create the largest technology company on the East Coast in Major League Baseball advanced media. So the notion that they do not have intelligent people in that space and people who are on the bleeding edge themselves, I just don't think is true. I think if Major League Baseball wants to stop this, it can stop this through both use of those minds that they have under their employee at the moment, as well as penalties that are going to scare teams off because you guys have worked for teams. You know that there's always a fear that you're going to be caught pushing just a little bit too far past that line of demarcation that's that's blurry, but that you know exists somewhere.
1: Yeah, it, we, we mentioned on the podcast, what was a week or two ago, that uh, Eric had noticed, and I think Jeff Sullivan wrote about, how the Astros were using coded signals as though a runner was on second base when there was no one on base. Yep. Which suggests either a level of paranoia that drives them to make sure nobody can take their signs or there's, you know, some, some level of teeth to back that up that they knew somebody was trying to take their signs. Yeah. In a way, in a way that um, like, if you were to tell me these teams don't cheat very much and then late in the season in a playoff run and then in the playoffs, they, they ratchet it up because every pitch is more important. Like I would buy that.
2: Yeah. I think, I, I think whatever you can dream up of teams doing at this point, they've already dreamt it up. Uh, however paranoid you want to be, they're more paranoid than you are because they have skin in the game. And we're, we're we're observers. We, we love baseball because baseball is a great sport and we like all of the things that it brings. This is their livelihood. This is on a daily basis, what they go to work trying to accomplish, what they take home with them from the field every night. And so to think that they're not spending every waking moment and, and half of the dreams that they have thinking of different ways to improve their club or to make sure that uh, when they're on the field that night, they're going to win, I think would be underestimating them.
1: I will say this. Uh, it doesn't have to be a final word, but maybe it will be. Uh, I talked to somebody uh, that said a fellow progressive team hired an employee, very low level employee, away from the Astros. And the first thing they asked him after he was hired was, how did you guys steal our sign so fast?
2: Yeah. There, there, are, there are conspiracy theories out there that I, I will not repeat because I don't want to dignify them not knowing them. That would absolutely blow your mind on, on how teams believe the Astros do it. And, and I it, like in my heart of hearts, having the respect that I do – for the Astros organization and and the approach that they take in trying to be competitive and win and get that advantage, I I don't doubt the veracity of them one single bit.
0: Well it's
2: it's 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 crazy to think the lengths to which teams will go in order to get an advantage.
1: And it seems like the, even industry-wide, outside of just this realm of, like, advanced scouting, the complaints about the Astros are basically a version of they care too much about being ahead of everybody else and pushing every limit to the extreme. Like, I think, uh, what, 100% of complaints are some version of that or stem from that?
2: uh yeah i think if you could go over 100 percent, it would be that but it's that, not that like they're... they're
1: mean people or they are constantly cheating it's just oh they well you know they... i
2: mean what, when when they traded for roberto sooner, that that changed yeah, a that little bit. that one but that also
1: is like they're trying so hard to win that they'll do some questionable moral things depending on who you're asking like you could argue it's just an extension of that like i don't think anyone like i guess to put a fine point on it like uh, I don't think anyone thinks they're, like, any worse than anyone else. It sounds like they just push even further than even the most progressive teams, and they get those yeah. advantages, which also means they might get closer to gray
2: areas as other people perceive it. And, and is, is a willingness to push boundaries progressiveness? or, or I mean, I mean more, progressiveness more, in terms it, of analytical it, approach. Yeah, I wouldn't right. call it progressive or conservative. But, but, to but I mean, let's, like, let's, let's be honest. All of these teams have brilliant people working for them. I mean, people who are far smarter than Kylie and you, Eric, could ever dream of being. And I was hoping that you guys. Yeah, I was say, not you. I was, wait, I was waiting for you to say you. <laughs> no, of course not. I would. I mean, come on. Not
1: Look better than the name of our podcast, but smarter than <laughs> us.
2: <laughs> and 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 the difference among those people, like, let's be honest, there is, there there are brilliant mathematicians and there are brilliant er mathematicians but how much different are we really talking i mean are we talking five percent smarter ten percent smarter a marginal win perhaps here or they're smarter. Maybe I'm underestimating.
1: Well, well this is something that I, Ky- Kyle Bodie, who I know you know from Driveline, had t- t- was talking about on Twitter, I want to say, last uh, week, where after this um, Clevenger complaining about the Indian stuff came out, and he said it's not that the Indians or the Astros or some other team are necessarily smarter than the other teams, it's how good is the GM at completely buying into a strategy, throwing all of his resources toward it, and sort of re- going as far as it will logically take them, as opposed to like, oh, the manager doesn't want this in the clubhouse, well, eh, we won't give him everything, or we'll put one less person on it. Like, I can say from my experience with multiple teams, that happened all the time where people don't want to step on the toes of somebody who has a different idea, so everyone ends up sort of doing half measures. And it sounds like one of the versions of why uh, the Astros have been so successful is that it's like a top down, like, get with Jeff Luna's plan, or you're not going to be here, and here's what we're doing, and we're going as far as we can, which is like some level of, you know, genius or whatever to know that that will separate him from everyone else when you're saying the margins between the actual information isn't necessarily that big. <laughs> The Red Sox decided to turn the Astros, and so MLB got involved. Does that mean now the Astros are going to go ticky-tack and have somebody come out and make Kimbrel take the pine tar off his hat and all the little stuff that everyone lets go, but it's technically against the rules?
2: I, I'm genuinely curious to see how that is, because I think all these things intersect. And I think baseball is really going to have to address them this offseason whether it's the substance rule after trevor bowers brought it up innumerable times about the Astros spin rate or whether it's the the accusations of cheating and uh and sign stealing and all of those things there, there's going there, there's a perception problem right now from the outside i think that has a chance to mushroom and if baseball takes it seriously brings in the players, brings in managers, brings in executives, and nips it in the bud, I think it has a chance to do something really good long-term for the game.
1: Yeah, and it seems like this is one of those things where you hear, like, Bill Simmons joke about that every fight in the NBA is about either gambling or women. I feel like in <laughs> baseball, more, like, bean brawls and stuff than you think probably start with stuff like this. And then some manager saying, oh, that guy's glove isn't, you know, uh, regulation colors. we got to get taken off. And then somebody throws at somebody. And, like, it's just yeah. all kind of mushrooms from little stuff that's, like, behind the scenes that now is sort of being brought front center.
2: What it all comes down to is that the most petty people in the world are athletes. And with, sure, it's that writers it is, on Twitter? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a close second, um, but I'm I'm pretty sure athletes have it beat. They're better at us than everything, anyway. Just ask them.
1: Yeah, no, and and so one last time, uh, where where can we find your writing, and where are
2: you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Passan, J E F F P A S S A N, and you can find my writing at Yahoo Sports, where for the indefinite future. In the future. Uh, I I i love working at Yahoo Sports. It really is wonderful. And they they've provided me a great opportunity to sit on this flight right now and uh and talk to you. And and we've been joined by a third you're going to be joined by an actual third guest, but I'd like to thank the flight attendant uh and her announcements for for joining us as well.
1: Oh, uh, please uh Put up your uh, tray table and uh, put up the back of your seat because I'll tell you one of my moves is get the person next to me to put their seat back so they can't tell that, you know, if both are back, they can't tell. If only one is, then they
2: tell you to move. I'm not a recliner. I feel like when people recline into me, that gives me liberty to, to crush them with my knees. So I do not want to give anybody the, uh, the ability to do that and lose my moral authority to be petty on planes.
1: Well, I guess I've added myself. I never recline when I'm in
2: coach, but I always do it in first class. That's reasonable. Because everyone's got it, enough room there. I was going to say, not just that. you're When you're sitting in first class, you're a man of leisure. And, <laughs> and have you ever had a computer set up when somebody reclines into you and like the computer folds on? It's, on it. it's the worst thing in the world. It, that which is why I don't recline because yeah. I I'd like to think that there's plain karma and uh, that that I'm owed it sometimes because I'm about to I'm about to open my computer right now and if someone reclines Kylie I'm gonna think of you.
1: I'd like to think when you
2: said I'm I'm a plain karma person that you were making intense eye contact with the person next to you.
3: Uh,
2: I'm avoiding it at all costs and I'm about to put my headphones on right now to make sure that it does not happen.
1: Which which I've seen firsthand. I know I know I know the passing headphones phone. Uh, head Phones move because he ridiculed me for not doing when I talked to the guy next to me and he laughed at me the whole time because I talked to a stranger. when I, Unforced error, didn't have to. All right, Jeff. <laughs> thanks for coming on. I'll talk to you later. All right, buddy. Okay, so thanks to Jeff Paston for joining us. Um, Eric, I guess while we're on sort of big league topics, did you have any any thoughts on the playoffs as uh, they've gone down the last uh, week or so?
0: The lightning rod topic du jour is. Manny Machado's on field behavior, like as we're sitting here recording it, there are a lot of hot takes about whether or not it's going to impact his free agent market at all. And And on one hand, about this Machado stuff, I believe if you're going to hand someone a $300 million contract over 10 years, that you deserve to and should. Like, I know I would want to consider everything I know about that individual, including stuff like this. Like, this is less than ideal. It's unprofessional behavior, essentially.
1: And a questionable haircut, I'd also say.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a judgment issue there as well, but, you know, I... Mean, I
1: not for me. I mean, you can, you can decide if you think it's good or bad. It's not for me.
0: I had a horrible goatee in high school. Like, I kind of think, at some point, we have convoluted aesthetics as part of our personality. But, anyway, I, d- I do think that there will... At some point, Manny Machado is going to sign the kind of contract that we all anticipate he's going to sign. And we'll say, see, it didn't matter. Uh, because we'll see that the guy got paid
1: but you're never gonna Um, know what the effects going to be behind the scenes or if it drops out like basically a couple teams are going to be mad about this are they teams that weren't going to bid in the first place or is this like the number one team is now way less willing to pay him we'll just basically never know
0: there's no doubt in my mind that there are executives and owners who have seen what Machado has done this postseason and kind of rolled their eyes and like really we want to give 300 million dollars to this guy how many of those have the motivation and financial ability to sign him i don't i have no way of knowing so i think ultimately there will be no effect it's like not really that big of a deal but it has been like i don't know it's it has been kind of weird to watch this type of behavior which machado has exhibited before become maybe it's just we're just better at diagnosing it because it's the postseason or maybe it's uh heightened because of this sort of pressure cooker situation that he's in i don't know Um,
1: I would say one GM that I would be curious how he would respond to this. He'd never tell us, but I'd be curious to know what he thinks would be Dayton Moore. Has he done anything uh, controversial lately?
0: uh, Yeah, like a few minutes before we recorded this, he was talking about um, believing in Luke Heimlich again. So uh, there might be something. I mean, just sort of uh, offering your public support for an admitted child molester uh is seems like an unforced
1: error if you're not going to sign them.
0: <laughs> yeah and i know you know there's a lot out there about confessions and their veracity like there's there's a lot to unpack in this whole situation but um yeah, I like this is
1: unsavory enough i don't want to litigate the whole thing it just seems like right. no, no one can look good by weighing in whether it's a team or a writer or an opinion columnist or it's just, there's just no winning in this situation it just seems ugly for all sides
0: We've talked already on, or I don't know how you're going to edit this together, but at some point during this podcast, Slash, we have already talked about what teams are willing to do to get ahead. Uh, Luke Heimlich is talented, and teams did their due diligence on this whole situation, and the fact that 29 of them, it seems, were just unilaterally out on it, is to me, it's like just further, it's just reinforcing what we sort of already kind of, no.
1: Along with the uh, the CPBL, the Taiwanese Professional League, was also like NFW. FW. Right.
0: Yeah, there are people who uh, who have this young man's back who think that he, you know, has changed or is telling the truth that he didn't do anything, even though at one point he confessed to it. Like, but it is just sort of a messy situation. I don't know how it's going to end. Uh, You and I have already sort of, you know, we said in our draft report on, we both thought Heimlich was going to be drafted, so we we had a scouting report on him. And we just mentioned in there that, like, this is just not, this is where we think this guy belongs on talent. This isn't a a player that we would acquire were we uh, making a decision for a team. Uh, The situation seems really horrendously toxic for a number of reasons, and it seems like most teams felt that way. When we were poking around pre-draft, the level of, confidence and general disgust that I would even ask if the the team was hey is your team willing to draft this guy was like so strong but same. at the same time but at the same time there was like yeah we think someone's going to do it yeah I, um,
1: everybody said someone's going to do it and i remember we had a list at one point close to the draft where it was two or three teams where like teams were basically telling us hey While Heinrich was pitching, nobody was behind home plate. But these three teams were all bearing down, like we think they're interested, and most of them sort of passed the sniff test. Like we we could imagine this being a team that would think about it. And one of these teams, I talked to a high level executive and just brought it up. Like, oh, by the way, you can say nothing. Like we're not going to quote you. Like I'm just curious if you'd say yes or no. And he goes, not only no, but like not even close. Like I'm surprised you thought that. I was like, oh, I didn't think you would. Other people think you would. He's like, yeah, I can tell you with certainty. Like don't quote me, but we're not. And I was like, oh, this this seems like this is toxic enough. No one even wants them thinking that they were thinking about it, which is, you know, kind of a new thing for baseball.
0: Yeah, and the talking to Northwest Area Scouts, a lot of the, the – who they were pointing to team-wise were teams that were really on him the year before, before we had even – like before the Oregonian published the story about the – uh, his juvenile molestation case. So,
1: and this team that I'm talking about said they had him in the first round the year before, before all this stuff happened. So they were they were on him as yeah. a player and and still walked away. Because so, I think some people would say, oh, if he's a second or third round pick, it's not worth it. But if he's a first round pick, then you know people be jumping through hoops to get him, which ended up not being the case. So our next topic is something we've uh, I think referred to in sort of chats and articles and podcasts in the past, which is uh, how in today's changing game would be the best way or multiple best ways or some, you know, basic things we can agree on about how to structure a scouting department. And it sounds like Eric has more specific thoughts than me. So I'm gonna let him lead the way here and then I'll jump in and tell him where he's wrong.
0: The first prerequisite that people need to understand when listening to this is that your scouting department has a few different, uh, like it's kind of divided in half. There's a pro side. There's an amateur side. Amateur side is responsible for scouting for the draft. Uh, and internationally, uh, and sometimes those departments are completely separate from one another. Uh, every team sort of structure, structures it differently. There are some teams who, uh, who, the scouting departments, all three of them international, domestic, amateur, and pro are all sort of under the same uh, umbrella. The same person oversees all of them. Uh, but yeah, so those are the three uh, departments, and then you can structure each of those pillars of your scouting department in different ways so like on the pro side some teams have scouts who cover regionally you live in the northeast you hit these minor league affiliates in the northeast in your car and your home some teams do it uh, based on organizations where uh, you're a scout you have uh these four teams you're responsible for every full season affiliate that of those four major league teams and you need to be done with those four affiliates by the trade deadline in July. And so this I mean, is sort of how a
1: version of that where it's two or three teams and you do the short season stuff too, but those would be sort of right. post deadline. But you you know you go to extend it. There's different versions of that, but that, that yeah, those seem to be the two the two main schools.
0: Right. So uh, and the the question that teams need to answer as things are changing is how much of the scouting process is going to be conducted by data and technology. You know, right now, TrackMan is in just about every minor league baseball stadium in the country, and teams pay to have access to like a bucket of all of the data from across all of the minor leagues. And then what they do to sift through it is different team to team, but they do have access to it, and a lot of teams and a growing number of teams think that this the data that the track man unit is, is feeding them is it's like taking up a larger part of the player evaluation pie and eyeball scouts are sort of being uh, shifted away. And then so what we, what I've seen happening here in Arizona is there is less coverage uh, at AA, AAA triple uh, a by eyeball scouts and more now at the lowest levels of the minor leagues down here during uh, instructional league in the fall Extended spring training, rookie ball, where what the players look like physically is a more important aspect of their profile. We're talking about 17-, 18-, 19-year-old kids who haven't physically developed yet. And so what the the kid's body looks like at that age is an important aspect in projecting them into their uh, physical prime. And the TrackMan unit can't tell you uh, what the kid looks like. So uh, as far as structuring a department goes, I do think there's there are pros and cons to each right because if like you have org if your Scouts have org coverage, uh, if you're seeing all the Marlins prospects, you should theoretically be able to see when that Marlin's prospect you've been watching for two years makes a mechanical change or you know finds a new pitch grip or something. like when that change occurs, theoretically you have a history with this player, you should be able to identify it. First, and that's important, but you're also not getting any cross-checking being done. You're the only guy seeing and writing up Marlins prospects instead of you know regional coverage. Uh, the whoever has you know if you scout uh, the, the Phillies, some your scout and pro scout in Florida is going to see their Florida State League affiliate, and your pro scout in the Northeast is going to see uh, their Double A affiliate. And so like you'll have two pairs sets of eyes uh, on prospects. So like there's But you could argue that both of those guys are going
1: to see all of these guys for the first time and not necessarily have history. And then I would say on the flip side of doing the organizational thing where you have the history, most scouts have like a specialty. Like they're not specialty, but like they're better at closer to the big leagues guys because he's a former coach or better at lower minors guys because he used to be an amateur scout. Or it's better with pitchers or hitters and you only have, you know, usually one set of eyes. So there's sort of the clear pluses and minuses just to the reports themselves from both approaches.
0: And so uh, as the data becomes more – a bigger part of the picture and teams consider the lower levels more important to scout with a person, uh, like it's inexcusable to me that certain teams, like – and we've talked about this before too, like the Mets don't scout beneath full season ball. Uh, so and it like doesn't cost that much either. No, it does um, So uh, the way I would do it is I'd have org coverage – from the full season affiliates and up, I would have uh, three scouts in Arizona and Florida each for uh, spring training, minor league spring training, and extended spring training. And then when extended is done, and these teams break camp for the rookie level uh, affiliates, then those one of those uh, like. Those three scouts get spread out, too. So like in Arizona, if you have three scouts here for extended, one goes to Northwest League, one goes to Pioneer League, and the other stays here in Arizona to scout AZL. And then like for Florida, it's the same thing except with the Appy League and New York Penn League and stuff. Uh, And then on the amateur side, the thing that I think uh, teams are going to separate themselves from the pack uh, soon will be heavily scouting junior colleges the the trackman stuff is coming to division 1 baseball. A lot of teams already have trackman units behind home plate. Arizona State got one for the first time last season. Um, so and I think po- Grand Canyon po- K-
1: JC I'm told has one
0: now. Yeah, so the, they're starting to spread out too, but uh, at some of like the the junior colleges here at, out west in Nevada and here in Arizona, I can't even fathom how I don't think they have the infrastructure to support uh, a TrackMan unit, like, and calibrate it. Some of the f- backstops are the same quality chain link fence that someone would have in their backyard. I can't, like, imagine calibrating something like that and hoping it hangs on a backstop without moving. Like, I so I do think that though, that as uh, more information is being pulled from Division One schools, that junior colleges will increasingly become the thing that amateur scouts are. Uh, They're turning over rocks there to find new guys.
1: Let me jump back to the pro stuff. I I mean, I I have some specific questions about the pro stuff. Do you want to jump back to that now or do that later? Yeah, go ahead. Go Uh, ahead. One, would you cover the DSL? Yes. Why not? Well, you didn't say it, so I didn't know if like you didn't include it in the short season stuff. Yeah, would you you do like two guys just do like the east and west and try to double up games and get all the teams (sighs) done basically?
0: Yeah, but I think at that point, I'd understand if it's target based at that point. And there's, it doesn't really make sense to scout a rebuilding team's DSL club since they're pretty unlikely to trade. They're not trading prospects anyway. Like, wherever teams are on the competitive spectrum uh, at the time influences who they are likely to part with. And so, there's also like,
1: certain teams that certain teams know that they're just not going to deal with for whatever reason that you can usually cross them off to.
0: And I think that uh, rebuilding teams could really leverage competing teams, young talent, uh, like in trades, because if you're, if you're the Cubs and you want to acquire Cole Hamels, are you really going to let some 16-year-old in the DSL be the deciding factor as to whether or not you complete this trade? You know, you're in the race, it's, it's July. Are you going to let some 17-year-old who, he's not going to be in the big leagues for four years, if he gets there at all, like stand between you and this trade that you think gives you a chance to win a world series and i submit that like this is what teams like the yankees like if you're the yankees theoretically you shouldn't be covering uh the dsl if we're talking about i would call this like dynamic coverage where you uh structure your scouting department based on where you are
1: that was my next question because con- this seems like the third version of pro scouting right. approaches
0: and this would be like, I'd say that the Cubs do this, where it's like, okay, we are competing, so let's funnel scouting resources toward AAA because we need pitching depth or what have you. Uh, so, But I think clearly that when you have a surplus of uh, viable 40-man candidates, that you can trade them to, I don't know, teams like Seattle for these interesting young DSL, rookie ball, whatever uh, prospects, because Seattle's not going to say no to trading Juan, then or Alex Campos or whoever uh, is in the DSL for someone that they think can help their big league club compete right now. If that's what the aim of their franchise is to do, uh, and I think that I don't think teams sufficiently use that leverage to hunt for like big fish. You know, like if the White Sox traded uh, Fernando Tatis for James Shields, like this is teams should be trying to get. Uh, to make more deals like that.
1: Yeah. It wouldn't be surprising that when we were just talking about the bleeding edge of like technology and advanced scouting, uh, that that may not be AJ Preller's area where he is the most advanced, but when it comes to like scouting rookie ball guys and aggressively trying to trade for him, he's definitely number one when it comes to being on the bleeding edge of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it is funny because like Preller will do it himself and like I've already had you know I'll get a text from another scout who's at a different AZL game than I am and being like Preller's out here looking for treats like <laughs> yeah,
1: I would get it all through the south like I could tell you what his schedule was I ran into him in a game and I go <laughs> I go where you been and I was like actually I'm just kidding I know where you've been and he's like what and I told him like Tuesday you were here Wednesday you're here Thursday you were here and then tomorrow you're gonna be here and he goes you weren't at any of these games and I go yeah but every other scout at all of the games you went to told me where you were because you're like a very recognizable person he's
0: recognizable yeah
1: and you're at yeah. a game almost every day and there's only a handful of games you'd go to if you're seeing first and second round guys and run around the southeast. Like it's yeah, it's, it's a get... curse
0: to be so handsome as to be recognizable.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've, I mean we have, we have similar problems. Everybody's constantly talking about the games we're at and how handsome we
0: are. I've done a good job of keeping my face off the internet.
1: Yeah, so the other question I had about the pro side is, I would say traditionally the AA, AAA, and big league coverage sort of scouts are your most highest paid, call it 80 to 150, depending on if it's a pro scout or a special assistant or used to be a big league coach or whatever it is, and that they pretty exclusively are in big towns, higher expenses, obviously, uh, higher level games, and then your sort of entry-level young scouts, not a lot of experience, but a little better with a computer, a little better with a camera, all that sort of thing. Same thing with, like, entry-level area scouts. They do backfields, DSL, complexes, you know, maybe low A, short season, all that kind of stuff. Would you stick with that sort of version of the triangle as you get more experience, you move up to bigger cities and bigger games, or would you try to invert that or change that in some way?
0: Well, I know you and I have talked about this privately before and that you think it should be inverted where your better guys are sifting through where, where uh, there's more
1: projection with the player, you need a better right. scout. And where there's less projection, the computer can probably tell you before you walk in the stadium what it is, so you can have a less experienced scout there.
0: Right, and just intuitively, your AA, AAA prospects, there's just more data there. There are three, four, five years of performance. And uh, to be clear, just barely scouts record.
1: them at all. So that's their answer to this question is, why would we send a human there?
0: Right, but, but Cleveland prioritizes... Uh, Those upper levels, those fringe roster guys, Uh, and you know, I think that there's. If I'm going to play devil's advocate for the way that you know you and I have basically agreed in the past that we would send the better scouts to the lower levels, but if there's an argument against it, I think it's the Double A, Triple A guys are uh, sometimes being squeezed out. There's a surplus of outfielders in Houston. How who do how do Teoscar Hernandez, Derek Fisher, uh, Jake Mariznick, and um,
1: Preston Tucker,
0: <laughs> Preston Tucker, Drew Ferguson? Like, how do these guys line up for you? I think spending time to figure that stuff out is important, and these are the sorts of players who are going to yield big league value uh, more quickly and probably with more stability than these low level. Uh, rookie ball guys. I guess the question what?
1: is, what sort of scouts do you think could either work in tandem with or beat the track man at projecting those AAA guys? Because I think the argument from the progressive or most progressive teams would be, sure, let's have scouts out there, let's have them be really good scouts, let's have them have opinions. But is a scout going to be able to tell me better than his you know launch angle stuff how this you know swing should be adjusted or whatever when he's going to see five games and track man seeing one hundred and fifty games?
0: Right. I think it would have to be someone who uh, can pick out something nuanced that's leading to success that trackman cannot. Trackman's pretty broad, right? Like it's yeah, or, or some makeup spin, stuff that
1: suggests he's more coachable or has been tinkering sure. with this and then put it away, but you could probably introduce it again but, you know, do it in a slightly different way. Like, I I think that sort of um, makeup sort of scouting along with the swing looks like this. I think it's adjustable, and Trackman suggests that might be there, or the exit wheels are high, but the launch angle's low. I, that's why I brought it up as I think a not necessarily young or old or experienced or not experienced or former coach or not coach, but someone that can work with that same language and also has enough expertise to sort of pick out swing stuff. I think that could be like a specific niche that would not be... Threatened by like downsizing of a scouting department, that guy's going to keep his, the guy or girl, uh, is going to keep their value longer than just the typical scout would be.
0: Do you think things like deception are, lead to a measurable result all the time, or do you think that's something that you have to see visually as well?
1: Uh, We talked about it uh, for the last couple teams I worked for as measurable deception and. Either intangible or non measurable deception. So, for instance, uh, David Robertson gets more swings and misses than you'd think given his velo because he's got great extension, which gives him great effective velocity. So, the fastball kind of sneaks up on you, which is like sort of an intangible thing, but it's in a way that we can measure via extension. Whereas, on the other hand, like how long and how well you hide the ball behind your body so that it kind of comes out of your ear, I guess you could use cameras and from different angles, you know, kind of put a number on that, but that's usually much better judged by the scout sitting behind home plate that's at a similar angle to the headers. And there's different versions of that. There's also, like, your fastball and your slider have similar spin rates. That'll make more swings and misses on your slider. That's something we can measure. And maybe even, like, you know, sequencing and, and, and locating them in such a way um, or tunneling, you can, you can do that, uh, you know... Um, analytically using, you know, TrackMan and various other things, and then there's, you know, the guy grunts when he throws his change up, and so it tricks hitters. Like, you obviously can't, well, I guess you could try to measure, like, how often he does it, or how loud he grunts in decibels and whatever, but, you know, the guy in the office is going to have no idea that exists unless the sound's turned up way high on his video, which it probably won't be.
0: Uh, How quickly do you think, all this discussion we've had about uh, cameras and neural processing units and machine learning contender? and yeah and bumble what's up nikki glazer at what point do you think at what point do you think the machines kind of squeeze out human scouts like at some point do you think that there will be you can you can have machine learning spit out a scouting report based on the image recognition that's capable with this you know this thing that you can stick in your
1: yeah i think uh, one of the things i've said to amateur scouts who will sort of ask me like hey what you know you've been in an office what do you think's you know going on like do i have a job or whatever and not I'll be like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a you know or whatever. You'll be fine. Like, they need enough scouts to go to the games, and if you're one of the top five or six scouts on the 30 teams, and you're one of like the 200 guys or so that are deemed of a certain quality, there will always be, or at least during our lifetime, presumably that many scouts going around. Because at the very least, you need somebody going into the home doing the interview, like you know all that sort of like the administrative stuff. Uh, and also, you wouldn't mind having the scouting report if you're you know already going to be there. So, at that level. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. However, I think the panic that come came with Moneyball, oh, they're going to replace us, was sort of false because, uh, as I've said before, like I have multiple friends that do analytics for the draft that have said, oh, I thought scouts were snake oil salesmen until I realized that a scouting report and scouting grades were the most predictive single numbers for a model. So now we need them because it makes my model better. So it's not necessarily the greatest way to land on that answer, but they land on that answer. My thought was when I talked to the amateur guys is when they put stat cast all of the sec and ACC stadiums and all of the big showcases in the summer, which I don't know if they're going to do in the next 20 years or whatever, because I don't think MLB has any incentives or Monetarily, or spreading, you know, the game or whatever to do that at that level, but if that level of detailed information exists for essentially, you know, 90% of the college games that matter, then I would get more worried because then you watching five games at LSU and saying Zach Watson's a really good defender, the office could kick your ass as far as saying how good of a defender and what his strengths and weaknesses are, like that wouldn't even be close and the little things you can't get about his swing from, you know, watching it versus just having the track man, if there's, you know swing swing stuff on the track man side which for lsu there is for other schools there might not be when that's everywhere and there's like hd video from the side that every team just you know provides in a pool to all of the big league teams uh then the guy down the side taking video like he becomes less important if it's you know automated in some way or if just the bureau does it in the way that all the teams agree that they want it and they just you know send it to you so there's definitely like there's a way to continue to reduce the number of scouts and increase the number of analysts and video guys that don't really do reports. Uh, but there is a base level 200 or whatever it is, um, amateur scouts that kind of have to exist. But I don't think this like trend has ended. And I think the sort of old school guys that think that this is just a trend and it's going to die, like this one is much more real than the Moneyball stuff was.
0: Yeah, I agree. I suppose it's just an aspect of my... Uh, personality that is a little more paranoid, I guess. It's like the theme of the podcast. <laughs>
1: Are we going to have like a like a trademark uh, emotion that defines every podcast? This one's going to be paranoia.
0: <laughs> I really was hoping that it would be a Kyle McLaughlin podcast.
1: <laughs> so we didn't spend a lot of time on how you would do the double-A, AA, a big leagues. I mean, obviously some teams go heavy on that. Some teams go light to yeah. almost nothing. Other teams do it dynamically. Where would you fall of those three buckets? Like, where would you lean more?
0: I think that this is where I'm the least sure about stuff. Uh, just in, ha- in talking to teams about this kind of thing in the past, uh, it's, it's the thing I've had the least uh, sure, well thought out answer for. I think there are probably, there's probably room at this level for specialists in some way. Like if we are looking for something specific was we do know a whole lot about these players, double AA, A, triple A, the big leagues uh, at that point, and so what is it that we're missing? What is relevant that we don't know about these guys uh, at this stage in their career? And once we sort of have identified what we don't know about them that we want to, what matters for these guys on the fringe, or, or how to identify candidates for a swing change? Like if you could have seen Max Muncie at double AA, A, triple A, and said oh, all you have to do is change this, and he's a 300, 450, 580 hitter, like that would be a very valuable thing to know. And some of that might be just looking at his exit velos and realizing that he has an insufficient uh, launch angle uh, for whatever reason or a suboptimal launch angle or however you want to do it or or that might be visually seeing him swing and saying, oh, there's not – He's not getting anything out of this part of his body throughout the swing. Change this, and he will, and there might be more juice in there or whatever. So I guess my answer is I don't have a great answer. I have some uh, questions that I think are pertinent, uh, but I don't necessarily have like a, a way that I know I'd, I, I'd go about doing it.
1: I also tend to agree with you because I think I would have to see what, how good I think – like if, if I'm installed as GM tomorrow – I think I might take at least a season, maybe two, to see how good are our current scouts. Do I think they're delivering value above and beyond, like a replacement-level scout? How good are our analytics? What do we feel like we can predict? How good were we at seeing, you know, random sort of pop-up AAA guys that became good, you know, Anibal Sanchez types, uh, coming? And how were the guys that were recommended by these various systems? Did they work together? Like, I think I'd want, and then also, like, the dynamic scouting end of it. Like, are we competing this year or are we rebuilding? I think I'd want to know all of that and have more of a, um, like, a situational context for which one makes the most sense. Because I think you can make an argument, especially based on how you execute, for any of those three approaches being best, depending on kind of where you stand and what you have and all that kind of thing.
0: I'd hire Marlins man to do my big league advance work.
1: He gets better seats than the scouts, so I mean, I'll give him that. Yeah.
0: He's got the best, he's got the best uh, angle on the action. But I'd have to, you know, I'd have to say, hey, put the phone down.
1: <laughs> maybe take, a little take too it much cell phone
0: on... time for Marlins man during these games. Maybe take it easy on the orange. <laughs> You're supposed to keep it a little yeah, profile maybe, maybe not such a conspicuous outfit. Seen I think space. an actual Marlin in the seats would be less conspicuous
1: yeah, if it was, like, the same th- color the as the seats, seat. I think if that was on TV, you might not immediately notice that there's a fish sitting in one of those seats. <laughs> All right, now we are to the third segment, and this this one's a little off the beaten path, uh, but I think it's necessary. Uh, we had Jeff it on the first segment, was the first guest in the history of the podcast. We're bringing on the second guest in the same episode. We will be covering the saga around <laughs> notable <laughs> Maine high school pitcher Barbecue Yee. With one half of the Cespedes family barbecue, Jake Mitz. Jake is not as excited about this as I am.
3: Yee, I am. <laughs> oh god,
1: that's that's bad. Pond number one. Um, okay, so let me let me set the table for why we're talking about this. So about a month ago, uh, I follow a lot of the uh, the perfect game and the various like high school tournaments on Twitter. So when like some random kid hit throws ninety five, the video will be out quickly. It's good, it's good for me to keep track of these things. But there's a lot of nonsense, a lot of this 2022 just hit 83, like that kind of thing. So a lot of it's kind of eyewash, and you kind of wait and see until something notable happens. And so there's a big tournament, and usually when there's these huge tournaments and there's like 50 fields, they tell all the coaches to put out your pitching rotations so that scouts and college recruiters know what field to go to, who's going to pitch when, all that kind of thing. So right. I'm there's a tournament coming up. Uh, Jeremy Brown with Perfect Game is retweeting a bunch of rotations. So I'm just sort of ignoring these um, <laughs> tweets because I'm not even going to this event. It's a bunch of like not even draft eligible guys.
3: Is but, that the same Jeremy Brown from Butterball?
1: Yeah, same guy. Yeah.
3: Wow, that's so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's internet famous. No, this is Jeremy with an H. We I call him H. I don't think he likes that I do that. Uh, but okay. sh- shout out to Jeremy. He if you need okay. information on the top 2023s in the country, he is the number one source. Um, wow.
3: Well, is that? What the business card says. <laughs>
1: It might be 2022. I, I don't know. I don't know what year is on his business card right now, but whenever I think I've reached, like, the like, I know the names of a couple 2022 high school kids, which I guess would be, what, freshmen in high school? Uh, yeah. He knows all the 7th graders. <laughs> like he, he goes as far wow. as you can go. Um, anyway, so he retweeted one of these rotations, and it said, pitching on one of the days, it was Barbecue Yee. And I was like, this camp, that's got to be like a nickname. Like, I'm thinking kind of like redneck guy from the southeast, like just, you know, like a funny name. But then I'm like, yee, that last name, that sounds sounds like Asian or, or something? Like, I don't know the Asian cultures well enough to know that's, you know, Korean or whatever. But I'm like, all right, this is interesting. And so I sent to a couple friends in that world, like, do you do you know anything about this kid? Is this guy really good? Is this just a guy that flew under my radar? Because uh, he's listed as a 2020. So I'm like, oh, he's, you know, coming up on uh, being eligible. Uh, so I just kind of let it sit at that. Never mentioned it on Twitter or anything. And then somebody sends me a couple articles about Barbecue Yee's uh, legal challenge to be able to play varsity baseball in Maine regarding the eligibility of his transfer of schools. And this is where Jake comes in. Jake, we have read these articles... I told yes. you before we started recording, I made a couple notes of some points that I want to get to of how insane this story is. And I have 16 notes that I want to hit on this. So before I get going, uh, I feel like you should you should hit some of the points you're interested in.
3: Yeah, no, I'll, I mean, I'll let you direct the conversation. I, I, I'm honored that I am the expert. I mean, this is like the, the perfect overlap of things that I'm interested in, which is uh, barbecue. That is not food.
1: Yeah, youth baseball.
3: Youth baseball. In baseball absurdity So I, I'm honored and, that I'm being involved I And, and
1: overbearing sports dads in the northeast
3: <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's my next point yeah. Is that this story Is not about Just Barbecue Yee He's like it the is about fourth his most dad. important figure In this <laughs> Yes, exactly So I really just want to hammer home That if Barbecue Yee becomes a thing Like he is actually good This could be the Lonzo Sorry, the LeVar ball of baseball yeah, no, that's... This nope. This is what this dad could be. We're, yeah, we're, We.
1: this has hit our radars because it is now on this trajectory if it continues at this pace.
3: Yes. All right, you, why don't you lead this conversation? Okay, so
1: the, the, here's what's going on. He went to a high school in Maine, uh, I believe it was Falmouth. And, I
3: don't think it really matters. Yeah,
1: he went to a high school in Maine. He wants to transfer to a different high school in Maine. It appears
3: presumably for, one with a better baseball. team. Yeah, it
1: appears it's a much better <laughs> baseball team. Although the dad has his, uh, um, we'll say the branding down for <laughs> for for the um, the interviews on the courtroom steps where he says, "Oh, it's not about sports. It's about education and." It has, like, all kinds of points. Like, well, I wouldn't have pulled my kid out of one high school and then homeschooled him and then sent him to this high school if it was only about sports because the crux of this whole thing is he's not eligible to play varsity baseball. He can play junior varsity because the rules apparently in Maine say that you cannot transfer and play varsity baseball if you transferred for primarily athletic purposes. It appears he transferred for athletic purposes for a number of reasons that we'll get to (laughs) but he's arguing that that has nothing to do with it, which, you know, this already seems like overbearing sports dad beyond the point that he has already employed two different lawyers and has brought this to federal court (laughs) Uh, and here's the craziest part of this is that he is challenging it in in federal court on constitutional grounds that playing varsity baseball (laughs) is constitutionally protected Which, if I told you this was an SNL skate, you'd be like, uh, I, this, this is, no one's going to believe this.
3: Uh, Oh,
1: no, we haven't even started. (laughs) Yeah, we're just setting the table, and I can't even get the words out. So, so Uh, so we have overbearing baseball dad, and then here, all right, we're still getting to the important part. So, overbearing baseball dad is named Howard Yee. Now, uh, excellent underclassman, Uh, baseball player, who apparently throws in the mid-80s, is named... (laughs) You you think I'm laughing because I'm going to say Barbecue, which we've already said. That's his legal (laughs) middle name, is Barbecue. His legal first name is all one word with a capital letter in the middle of it, Prince Howard. (laughs) His dad's name is Howard, let me remind you. (laughs) Implying that he is King Howard because his son is Prince Howard. (laughs) Yes,
3: (laughs) Yes. Then it's like if my name was Prince Richard. That's my dad's name.
1: Well, he's very well known that your your dad is Richard Mintz and your mom is Jake's mom.
3: Jake's mom, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, Wow.
1: Well. So okay. So <laughs> and then recently, late breaking, just before we started recording, Jake uncovered a YouTube video where Barbecue is it almost seems like he's announcing he's going to run for president, but he, he stops short of that. It's definitely like a, a promotional marketing video where he has a net in the middle of his living room, like near next to an entertainment unit with a TV. And the next room, there's a drum set. And he's both hitting off of a T into the net in his living room. And then it, it appears from what I saw, seeing how fast his jugs machine can shoot a ball into this net in his living room. Because <laughs> that's, that's the thing that's happened before. Um, but the reason I bring this up, as he explains in this video very calmly the reason his legal middle name is Barbecue I would assume it was because people started calling him that at some point and then they just changed it so it would actually be his name apparently he was originally named this because his family ate a lot of barbecue and quote, it would be easy to
3: remember that's like if I was named Matzo ball.
1: <laughs> I don't have a comment on that I feel like I, I, can't, I can't get into that topic um, I know, that's
3: why I said it <laughs>
1: yeah I, I, yeah, okay Jake, being that you're the constitutional scholar half of Cespedes Family Barbecue, do you think the right to play varsity baseball is constitutionally protected? Do you think the framers had this in mind?
3: I mean, it depends on if you're a strict strict constitutionalist or not. Right? You know, well, I mean, obviously, yeah. Like, I think this needs to be the next amendment, is I guess what I'm saying. Because whether or not it is protected under the Constitution is not really the point. It's the question of should it be protected under the Constitution, right? Because the case is being brought to federal court. I know, you know, look, you know, the Supreme Court has been in the news a lot. Yeah. And I expect it to continue to be in the news. For this reason. If, if for this reason, for barbecue Yee running <laughs> this all the way up the chain. I can't um,
1: I can't wait for Howard Yee to try to keep appealing this and yell that, like, the, the, the head of the fish ruts, we're going to challenge this all the way to the top. <laughs> and then see, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, weighing in on eligibility for Maine high school baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if they have a sense of humor, because if they do, they would have to take this case.
3: Here's another point I want to make. Like, I'm not trying to crap on Maine as a baseball state. Well, I'll keep in you mind, know? Carson Sestouli lives there, so maybe, maybe I know. that changes your mind. Ryan Flaherty. Yeah. Maine legend. Mark Rogers. First round yeah, pick. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some people up there, but... Is the difference in competition between your old Maine high school and your new Maine high school really worth this? Like, is it really worth this? Yeah, it's, it's also, not like he's playing year-round
1: travel ball in Florida where he might actually get better. Like, there's no way his his skill level
3: or college recruiting is ever going to change because of this. No, like, it's he, he is going to be evaluated on how he performs in the summers— yeah. On the travel ball circuit. Which and he's then, on one of the better is, teams, because he's pretty good. One of the better teams. He's on, what, Evo Show Canes?
1: Uh, he's on one of the Canes teams. So, yeah. One they're the, they're the best teams. program, and he's on one of the right. teams.
3: Yeah. And so, like, he, his stock is dependent on how good his stuff is, because he's going to be a pitcher, right? Yep. That's what it sounds like. And how like. good yeah. it I haven't him <laughs> in the summer. Yeah, I know. But, like, it. this doesn't matter. Like, the fact that his dad thinks this matters tells me that either he doesn't have a sense for, like, the travel ball circuit, maybe? And, like, what is important? Well, not only that he thinks it matters, but that he's paying for multiple
1: lawyers to challenge this in court. And then in one of the articles, he's quoted as saying, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but we knew this would bring a lot of, like, emotional distress and, like, bad media uh, coverage and all this sort of stuff, but we think it's worth it. And we're like, it absolutely is not (laughs) not
3: worth it. Right? This guy's completely disillusioned. Especially because he's a pitcher. Right? Like if he was a hitter and you don't want this kid playing junior varsity baseball. You well, know, here's an here's an argument that they should make in court. Ready? If this kid is this good, he's gonna dominate the best league in Maine on the varsity level. That was the next
1: question is are his stats right? but on J V main ball gonna just blow away every record?
3: His his J V stats are going to be unbelievable. They're going to be unreal. But, like, if he was a hitter, I understand the, the take of, like, oh, he can't be facing kids throwing 73, right? Yeah. But in he, he basically needs to just think about varsity or junior varsity baseball as, like, a bunch of bullpen sessions.
1: Yeah, they should just move to Washington and go to driveline and try to throw 95. Like, that
3: would, that would accomplish yeah. a lot more than this. Yes, and it's clear that they're willing to do that. Like, <laughs> if they're going to hire the lawyers. <laughs> Multiple like, lawyers. Why? It just seems like the wrong way to spend the money to me.
1: And also, I—I I mean, I played one year of JV when I was in high school in Florida, and the JV schedule—I mean, the varsity schedule would be like twenty-five games, and the JV schedule would be like ten games. With the little window where the w- weather is good enough to play in Maine, is their JV schedule like three games? Like, how many games oh, is he going to play?
3: He's barely going to play. And the best part is that he's going to pitch all of them, right? Yeah. Because the JV team isn't going to be that big. It's, it's like, like once he's a just week too. Like, Yeah. He'll get the yeah. He's just. No one else on JV is going to pitch.
1: All right, so another
3: point. <laughs> oh, this was my point. Sorry. Oh. The point that they should be making is that it's a safety hazard for this kid to be pitching against JV. Because if he's really throwing mid to high 80s, you have, like, little freshmen who are just, like, at a little league.
1: Yeah. In like the, they don't have the, the fast twitch to get out of the way of the pitch.
3: Yeah, they're going to get their teeth knocked out.
1: Yeah. No, I That's see what, that.
3: Which is a badass argument to make in court. Like, my son is so good at pitching. It's a safety hazard,
1: and that would that would actually be a perfect spot for him to turn into Levar Ball to be like, all <laughs> all these ra- raggedy ass players out here are gonna get beat up by my guy pitching so hard,
3: and like I could strike out Mike Trout. <laughs> And
1: now I'm imagining him, uh, Howard Yee, embracing his LeVar ball and arguing in front of the Supreme Court, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is like, this guy's right. I've seen I've seen the video. I've, I've looked at the TrackMan data. This guy's dangerous. Like, we, we need to get him to well,
3: <laughs> That's so funny.
1: So another funny part in this article is, uh, it, the, like, the articles are saying how they tried to get a temporary injunction, which was denied, and then the uh, Barbecue Yee side is saying, yeah, we basically knew this was going to happen, but we're going to keep fighting it. Um and then (laughs) the dad says we look forward to deposing the superintendent (laughs) and the AD from the school he's hoping to play
3: for (laughs) like how's that gonna play out (laughs) it's not a good way to like have a good relationship with your new coach
1: he accuses the superintendent of these Maine high schools of having a grudge against him that he basically uh, denied his athletic like tr- transfer waiver right before preseason started just to get back at him. And I'm just like, I guarantee you that's not what happened.
3: <laughs> like, right. Like, no like, chance, nobody
1: Lance. in Maine cares about baseball this much. Uh, I bet
3: you the superintendent's like, wait, we have baseball? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, when does that start? What season is that? Now the funny part of all of these main baseball jokes is there is a guy on the board right now in the 2020 class, the same age as Barbecue Yi, uh, who is projected to go in the first round, who is like the, no best, way. the best main high school player in like probably the last ten or fifteen years. His name, What's his, his name? His name is Trey Fletcher. He was at East Coast Pro this year as an underclassman, and I had scouts comp him to Garrett Whitley, uh, who went in the first round at an upstate New York. Um, but
3: didn't he turn out not to be that good?
1: Uh well he hurt his shoulder this year he was he was not good off the bat uh, and then basically was getting better and then missed the season with his shoulder so he went in the middle of the first round so, and it sounds so like Trey weather. Fletcher is cold a very guy yeah cold weather guy yeah he played against Ian Anderson in high school as an underclassman that's how they like both kind of got on the radar. I see but so there is a guy in Maine that is on the trajectory to be a mid first round pick which happens like every fifteen years I'm guessing and he could play
3: against this guy but actually he can't because barbecue you can't play oh, first baseball right now that's so funny so like. That maybe that's why the dad is so motivated because he knows that like these scouts are going to come up and see Trey Fletcher for the next two and that, like, years. Like if yeah. they see, yeah, if they see Trey Fletcher, they're going to like stumble upon it on uh, stumble upon the barbecue.
1: If I was him, I'd try to transfer to the the high school that Trey Fletcher is on because you know next year they're going to have scouts at almost every game, which you know he's going to pitch one third of those games. Like that would be yeah, a, a, yet another better approach
3: to this, <laughs> or at least be on the JV team at that school.
1: Yeah, and also, like, Trey Fletcher has been committed to Vanderbilt for a while, so, like, the Vandy guys will probably be around checking in on their recruit. Hey, maybe Barbecue Geek gets in there. He's uncommitted right now. Uh, another point that came up in this video you sent me, his brother's little brother uh, says that his name is Bow Bow,
3: Which means, be- I think it's, he says it means beautiful.
1: I don't know what it means. I don't even know if it's accurate, if he was joking around, or if it's a nickname, but it's just, it's painting a picture. I think we're getting an idea of what's
3: going on here. Now, I... I find the entire family incredibly delightful. I feel like they'd be fun
1: to hang out with.
3: Yeah, like, they just seem to be, like, living this very eclectic, fascinating main life.
1: Now, going along those lines, uh, have you seen the picture of what they're wearing when they leave the courthouse? (laughs) Yes, I have. How, How would you describe what Howard and Barbecue are wearing?
3: Identical.
1: They're wearing identical... Ralph Lauren polo shirts that say USA. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Aren't you like legally obligated to wear a tie? Like that's the, that's what I learned from watching The Wire. That's supposed to be like sort of. Baseline. Remember, they like, give you're, Omar. Yeah, like you're interviewing for a
1: job. Yeah. You're going to court. Like, just wear a tie, even if you're overdoing it. Like, it's a good move.
3: Oh, they should have worn the tie with the Polo Ralph Lauren <laughs> shirt.
1: <laughs> with no, yeah, I guess it's a polo shirt. So it has a collar, but you know, maybe not designed for a tie.
3: I mean, like, I'm, I'm very in on Barbecue Yee, is what I've decided. Is I want Barbecue Yee to be a first-round pick. I want him to be a top prospect. I want a reality show.
1: Yeah, do we need to start, like, a Barbecue Yee-related newsletter or some sort of hashtag or something? Like, how do we get in on I'm the think, ground floor of this?
3: I mean, I think the first step is for Jordan and I to change our blog name to the Cespedes Family Barbecue Yee.
1: There's really no choice.
3: No, it's the only option. This is a similar take that I have with like Lamar Ball, which is there's clearly things that he says and does that are a little unnecessary and ridiculous for a parent to do, right? Yeah. Or completely nutty. But the the undenying, unconditional, fervent love for one's child is is admirable to me. And maybe it's because I know nothing about parenting. But like <laughs> This dude loves barbecue, right? He loves his son barbecue so much. He's willing to go to the Supreme Court for him, right? That is a love that I have, like, I love my parents, right? And they, they have been great to me and I love them. But, like, this amount of love for one's child is incredible, and commendable. We, well, yeah, I guess that. That's and good. insane. <laughs> there you go. Okay, <laughs> but 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 also, just it's so beautiful in a way, right? That like, the
1: family is brought together by this cause. You can uh, debate like the the wisdom of taking this tack to get this thing, but that the whole family's yeah. together and united is something to be admired.
3: Everyone should feel as passionate about something as. As Howard Yee feels about his son. Prince <laughs> and Howard Barbecue Yee. ensuring that he, Prince's son, yes, Prince Howard Barbecue Yee has the best possible life.
1: What is your general feeling on LeVar Ball himself? So like, how would you feel if this went in that direction?
3: How do you evaluate that? Oh, oh man, that's so thick. So <laughs> So many, so many positives question. and negatives thrown
1: together, you just don't know how to say, oh, I feel X.
3: Oh, so, like, Lavar Ball is, above else, a disruptor, right? Like, he... He like, he be a tech into a, Yeah, like, he's a disruptor. He, he just does different stuff, right? And whether it's good or bad is, you know, there are some things he does that are good, like challenging the NCAA. Yeah. And there are some things he does that are bad, like... <laughs> like almost everything else. <laughs> like, like... Sending his sons to Lithuania or wherever, right? Like, that didn't turn out well.
1: That sounds like a punchline for, I'm so mad at you, I'm not going to ground you. I'm sending you to Lithuania. (laughs) He's
3: like, all right, Dad. But, like, there are things about LeVar Ball that are, like, good and good as a father. Not all of it, right? I would do things differently for sure.
1: You mean you wouldn't start a shoe brand and charge five hundred dollars for a pair of shoes
3: as no, a way dude, to raise money to shoe. get your
1: kid to skip college? <laughs>
3: All right. Two things. Number one, the new shoe is two hundred dollars.
1: Oh, they brought the price down.
3: Yeah, yeah. And number two, it's kind of cool, actually. As yeah, I, I kind of like it. So,
1: so this story is evolving. Like whatever oh, everybody thought yo, was the beginning. Yo,
3: yo, 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 yo. I have an idea. What? I have an amazing idea. What is they should easy? barbecue. Yee should start the baseball, ver- like vertical of big baller brand. Like <laughs> they only do basketball stuff, right? It's but true. They need to diversify. <laughs> Howard Yi should get barbecue to be the face of big, big Ball, baller brand. Baseball brand, brand.
1: yeah. B- beef, quad to the fourth. beef, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say cubed, but that would There's be three. What's what's four? Quabbed.
3: Be <laughs> quabbed, of course. <laughs> what did you not know? <laughs> so that's my idea. That's, I made that up. Um, so so it sounds like what we're idea. rooting
1: for is for Barbecue Yee, like whether he gets to play or not play or whatever, it almost doesn't matter at the high school level. Although we, w- we would almost like to see him play JV just to see what the stats would be. If they even keep, score- I don't know if they keep scoring JV because it's just like a participation trophy level. Um, but for him to like be throwing 95 on the summer showcase circuit next year, and then turn into like a super stud, and people have to go to Maine, maybe plays against Trey Fletcher, and then it no, gives-
3: people have to go to Maine and watch JV baseball. <laughs> yeah, like he's you know, draft
1: eligible no on a JV pissed. team in Maine. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know how pissed scouts are to go to Maine? Like how mad a cross-checker would be to go and watch Maine. Varsity baseball
1: yeah it sounds like we're pro barbecue Yi, and if him improving gives a bigger platform to see what howard ye's next moves will be because if barbecue does you know becomes like a d two player or you know just sort of fizzles and the way a lot of players of this level do uh then we don't get to see Howard's next moves and I want to see where he's gonna go with this because he's definitely like like we said he's on the trajectory for Lavar ball only a few select parents can get to that level. can he get there? I mean
3: it's a hot start that's for sure
1: well flames emojis all around Jake Metz. Would you
3: like to plug anything? Where
1: can people find you?
3: Oh, hey guys. Uh, my name is Jake Mintz. For those of you who are unaware with who I am, that is perfectly understandable and, in, in fact, preferable. <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous that you don't know who I am because I do.
1: You did have and, a, famous, anyway, you, you had a famous tweet though. I think that's what you're known for, right?
3: I had one t- oh, good tweet. Yeah. I tweeted a picture of Acuna and Moncada and it was cheeky. Anyway, I'm one half of the Sespedes family barbecue. That's why I'm here. Ah, uh, the other half is Jordan Schusterman. We work for MLB. dot com. You can read all of our stuff at MLB.com dot com slash cut four, and follow us on Twitter at CespedesBBQ. And uh, I mean, that's it. Like you, we don't. People you, are always like, "Oh, do you have do you have personal Twitters?" We have a podcast yeah. too, right? Oh yeah, we, that, yeah, that we do have. Yeah, I knew the barbecue. We have cast. a podcast that is exclusively about Division Three baseball. Which you because, know, there is you know, an, There's a non-zero chance
1: want. barbecue you could play Division Three baseball. Like I, that could happen.
3: The, yeah, he could go to Southern Maine. Southern Maine is one of the best programs in the country. Uh, the head coach there is Ryan Flaherty's dad. Oh. And they. Prince Howard Flaherty? A kid. <laughs> Prince Ryan. <laughs> Prince Ryan Flaherty. Or King um, Ryan Flaherty? No, King Ryan Flaherty. Uh, no, and Southern Maine had a kid drafted a couple years ago. Oh, there you go. Sam, De- Sam Dexter. Short stop in the White Sox system.
1: I can say he's not on the board, round, I but I look forward to him one day finding his way on there.
3: Hey, D3 players are players too. <laughs> Shouts out, Billy Wagner.
1: For Jake Mentz, uh, uh, and also Eric right, Hagen, who we're recording at different times, and he's tied up right now, so that's why he's not on this segment. Uh, this has been Ump, the entitled McDonough Hagen podcast. Actually, entitled McDonough and project, but it's also a podcast. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right, Jeff. Um, passenger Harris? <laughs> uh,
3: passenger Harris?
1: Harris? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, advanced scouting and whatnot is usually policed by the teams themselves, as we've sort of discussed, <laughs> and that <laughs> the...
3: Oh, this is beautiful. They're going to close the door after this, too. <laughs>
1: The Astros, for example,
3: could could take this, uh,
1: you know, turning into <laughs> – can't even do it. All right, Jeff, tell us where to find you on Twitter.
3: <laughs> At Jeff <Benson. laughs> This is so great. Oh, this is such an untitled
2: McDongan Hagen project. Just uh, – this is why you need guests for absolute disasters like this. So you and Eric aren't the only ones doing it on a weekly
0: basis. I'd hire Marlins man to do my big league advance work. Kyle McLaughlin is my male muse. Uh, Agent set. Cooper, point the uh, the cell phone camera into the Red Sox dugout and tell me what they're doing defensively. Lara Dern, you look at the other dugout. Hello, Kylie, Eric. Hi, David. How are you? It sounds
3: like someone's shaving the back of your head.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No square. Square on the back. Thanks. They always ask me, do you want square or round on the back? I'm like, I can't see the back of my head. Dealer's choice.
0: Look, I'm not saying you're not the Antichrist, but I had seven people calling in saying they were the Antichrist last week. If barbecue wants it, then barbecue gets it.
2: Technology. <laughs> Fuck technology. All right. All right. It's a need, on from sounds like you
0: need a Huawei Mate 20 Pro. <laughs> <laughs>